0: Okay, so you'll know we're looking at a series in Proverbs so today we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 10 verses 11 to 13 so let me just read them for you just now so Proverbs chapter 10 verse 11 if you're following along the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence hatred stirs up strife but love covers all offenses On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is with the back of him who lacks sense. So words matter. As I read through Proverbs over the last few weeks, thinking about what I should look at in this series in Proverbs, I couldn't but notice how often the Proverbs circle back to our speech. Whether it's the way that we say things, what we say, who we're speaking to, and ways not to speak. So we're going to take a look at these verses verse by verse so if we look at verse 11 first of all the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence the bible is full of examples of the power of words so in john chapter 1 john describes jesus as the word and talks about in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. You see, it was the word that created everything that we see, that we touch, that we smell, that we feel. God spoke the word world into being. Today we were reading in that verse 11 that the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. And as I was thinking about that imagery about what a fountain means, I realised that here in the UK we treat water so casually, we have so much of it that we forget how vital it is for human flourishing. But in a hot, dry climate like ancient Israel, the relationship between human flourishing and water is really clear to everyone. So we've got a wee picture of an ancient Israeli fountain, I think, in Jerusalem. So too are the words of the righteous vital for human flourishing. So I'd like you to turn to the people around about you just for a wee minute and think about when the words of other people have been like a fountain to you in your life. When have your words been life for someone else? So have a wee minute to think about that. I can think of lots and lots of examples where other people's words have been life to me. I'm going to tell a story now that was told by Tony Campolo, actually, um, about uh, an example in a school set in America where um, words were life. Okay, each September, Miss Thompson greeted her new students with the words, Boys and girls, I love you all the same. I have no favourites. Of course she wasn't being completely truthful because teachers do have favourites. And what is worse, sometimes they have students they just don't like. Teddy Stoddart was a boy that Miss Thompson just did not like. And for good reason. He was a sullen boy who sat slouched in his teeth, in his seat, with his head down, grinding his teeth. When she spoke to him, he always answered in monosyllables of either yes, no, Mm mm-hmm, His clothes were musty, his hair was unkempt, he needed a bath. He was an unattractive boy in speech and in manner and in just about every way. So whenever Miss Thompson marked Teddy's papers, she got a certain perverse delight in marking crosses next to the wrong answers. And when she put the F at the top of the paper, she did it with a flare. But she should have known better. Because teachers have records and she had records on Teddy. Teddy's record said, First grade. Teddy shows promise with his work and attitude, but his poor home situation. Second grade. Teddy is a good boy, but he's too serious for a second grader. His mother is terminally ill. Third grade. Teddy is becoming withdrawn and detached. His mother died this year and his father shows no interest. Fourth grade. Teddy is a troubled child. He needs help. Christmas came around and all the children brought presents to Miss Thompson and piled them on her desk. They crowded around to watch her open them. All the presents were wrapped in brightly coloured paper with ribbons and bows, except for Teddy's present. His was wrapped in brown paper and held together with Scotch tape. But to tell you the truth, she was surprised he'd even brought her a present. When she tore open the paper, out fell a rhinestone bracelet with most of the stones missing and an almost empty bottle of cheap perfume. The other children giggled at the shabby gifts, but Miss Thompson had enough sense to snap the bracelet on her wrist, take out some perfume out of the almost empty bottle and to put it on her wrist. Holding her wrist up to the other children, she said, isn't it lovely? The other children, taking their cue from the teacher, all agreed. And at the end of the day, when the other children had left, Teddy came over to her desk and whispered softly, Miss Thompson, all day to day, you smelled just like my mother used to smell. That's her brace that you're wearing. It looks really nice on you. I'm really glad you liked my presence. After he left, she got down on her knees, buried her head in her hands and cried and cried and cried. She asked God to forgive her. The next day, when the children came to class, they had a new teacher. It was still Miss Thompson, but she was a new teacher. She cared in ways that the old Miss Thompson didn't. She reached out in ways that the old Miss Thompson didn't. She reached out to all of the children, but especially to Teddy. She nurtured him and encouraged him and tutored him when he needed extra help. By the end of that school year, Teddy had caught up with the other children. He was even ahead of some. Teddy moved away and Miss Thompson didn't hear from him for a very long time. Then one day, seemingly out of nowhere came a note Dear Miss Thompson, I'm graduating from high school. I wanted you to be the first to know. Love, Teddy Stoddart. There was no address. But four years later, there was another short note. It read, Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know. I'm second in my class. The university's not been easy, but I really liked it. Love, Teddy Stoddart. Then four years later, there was another note. Dear Miss Thompson, as of today, I am Theodore J. Stoddart, MD. How about that? I wanted you to be the first to know. I'm going to be married on the 27th of July, to be exact. I want you to come, and I want you to sit where my mother would have sat. You're the only family I have now. Dad died last year. Love, Teddy's daughter. And she went, and she sat where Teddy's mother would have sat, because she deserved to be there. She was a teacher who had done something great for the kingdom of God, and she deserved her reward. You see, in this story, Miss Thompson was able to be a fountain of life for Teddy. She was able to draw out his God-given potential. She was able to release a fullness of life through her words. And we see that in Jesus, time and time again in the gospels, Jesus meets with people and through the power of his words, he helps them to regain their right relationship with God and with man. As followers of Jesus, Do we too always use our words to help others regain their right relationship with God and with man? Because as a people indwelt by the spirit of God, we too can use our words to heal, to restore and to draw forth fullness of life. I was reading a study into speech patterns in preparation for this, as you do. And they looked at different countries in the world and everyone fit the same kind of patterns. We use approximately 50% negative words, 30% positive and 20% neutral speech. So that means we use almost twice as many negative words as we do positive in our everyday speech. I know that in my own speech, I can be quick to criticize, quick to see the fault in the actions of my bosses and management and quick to point it out. I can be quick to be frustrated with the actions of others and quick to point that out too. I can be quick to be critical of decisions and life choices that wouldn't have been my own. And whilst there is a time and a place for challenging and rebuking and encouraging others in righteousness, like the Bible tells us, the Bible also tells us that complaining and gossiping are not the ways that that should be conducted. Sometimes I do make a conscious effort to encourage and affirm others. Maybe some of our young people, younger physios at work, some of the young athletes in my athletic club. But I'm not as good at affirming or encouraging peers or those with more experience than me. I'm not as good at recognising a job well done from someone that I expected a job well done from. And yet when we look at our own life, how often do we need other people to affirm what we're doing? I was recently leading a Christian camp and I was really blessed to be sharing a room with someone who's very good at encouraging and affirming. She took the time to build me up in confidence in the things that I was doing within that camp because there's so many moments that I doubted myself. That I doubted that I'd done something well enough or I'd done the right thing. I worried that I'd let people down. And it was such a blessing to me to have someone speak life into that situation. Yet do I make that a regular practice. To thank my cashier in Tesco for the service with a smile. To let my hairdresser know that the way that she spoke to the elderly customer before me was beautiful, to let the admin staff at work know that I appreciate their cheerful welcome in the morning. It's quite unscottish, isn't it, and yet so vital. Adele's talked a few times to a lot of us about her vision this year of God calling us to a church where we come away from our rocking horse, where we're in our comfort zone but not going anywhere. And stepping forth into learning how to ride a skateboard. But who of us can learn to ride a skateboard without a cheerleader alongside us, without the mouths of the righteous noticing when the skateboard will fit us and helping us to believe that we can ride it. If we want to be a people who ride skateboards expertly, doing amazing things for God's kingdom, we need our community cheering us on We need each other looking out for the next size of skateboard for us and believing in and for one another that we can ride them. We need to use the power of our words to call life out from one another. So we move on to verse 12. We read that hatred stirs up a conflict, but that love covers all wrongs. How often do we hold on to our offence? How often do we take something that someone else has said and hold it with pain in our hearts and hold on to that for a very long time sometimes. How often do we see situations around us escalating because people feel wronged and someone else has to pay for the wrong that they've done? But you see, when we hit back, someone else feels the need to hit back harder. I remember that from arguments as a kid with my sister. I would say something mean to Naomi and she would say something even meaner and then I would feel I had to come up with something even meaner to say back to her. But as people of faith, we are called to something completely different, something distinct, to forgive just as he has forgiven us, to choose to let the wrongs done to us go, to choose to love rather than to fight for our rights. Because as this verse tells us, love covers up all wrongs. Have you ever noticed that someone in love doesn't notice the flaws in the one they love. Have you ever noticed that we give grace and abundance to those that we love? That we make excuses for the mistakes of our family and friends. When a close friend makes a mistake at work, we see it just as an honest mistake and error. But when someone unknown to us makes the same mistake, we see them as incompetent or lazy or lacking in attention to their job. We get frustrated or angry with them. Because our love for our friend allows us to see things from their perspective, to cover up all their wrongs. And the deeper the love, the more wrongs we cover up. God's love for us was so deep that he covered up every time we have despised and rejected him, every time that we we believe that we know better than God, every time that we've chosen to put our own needs ahead of others. He covered up our sin and our brokenness with the greatest love we have ever seen, the sacrifice of the cross. So if we want to be able to love like Jesus loves, what do we do? Do we kick ourselves up the backside and force ourselves to become more loving? Do we grit our teeth and curse ourselves when we fail to live up to the loving standards that we see in God? Sometimes admittedly, that is my actual plan for becoming more loving to just try harder to summon up love from the depths of my being. But I can stand here and tell you that it's a bad plan. So I'm a physiotherapist in the NHS and I had a period a couple of, probably a couple of months ago, where I suppose I was maybe feeling a wee bit burnt out. I certainly wasn't feeling loving. I wasn't loving to my patients. I wasn't covering up all their wrongs. I was grouchy with people who were late. I was annoyed with people who hadn't taken my advice. I was frustrated with patients who seemed to continuously make poor choices. I was angered by colleagues who made my life harder or who didn't seem willing to help me out. And I could feel it. I could feel my lack of empathy. I could feel my irritation, my lack of love, and I absolutely hated it. So what did I do? Well, my first instinct was to try really, really hard. And I tried really hard to be more loving, to summon up empathy, to smile, to care, it absolutely would not come. And eventually, although admittedly it took an embarrassingly long time to realise what I needed to do, I came here into these prayer meetings that we have. And I prayed and I prayed and I'm sure people were getting fed up of me praying the same prayers for weeks on end. I had other people pray over me and gradually God softened my heart again. I noticed that I'd regained my patience, my kindness, my gentleness, and my peace. And I think this happened for two reasons. Firstly, I believe that God answers the prayers of our hearts when they're in alignment with his will. But I also believe that we become like those that we spend time with. Some of you might know that when I left school, I actually went to live in Malawi for a year. And when I was there, I lived with a Malawian girl called Modesta, still one of my best friends. Now, Modesta's English has always been very, very good. While she had specific patterns or phrases that we would absolutely never use here in Scotland, she would often translate directly from the phrases that she would have used in Chichewa into English, which didn't always work. And she wasn't the, sa- the only one who used those same kind of patterns of phrases and accents. I found myself using them also the more time I spent in Malawi with Malawians using those phrases. So I would say things like, can you borrow me your pencil? And if you walk little by little, you'll find them over there. Or my favourite for someone with diarrhea was, he's got an open stomach today. So uh... So after a year of using these patterns of phrases and accents, when I returned to Scotland, I found that I couldn't turn it off. It took me about a month to speak normal Scottish. And people around about were looking at me like English was my second language. I had become like those I spent time with. And it wasn't just about the accent and the phrases. My friend Modesta is someone who sees God's hand in everything, every moment of every day. And I found that I too started to see God's grace in the simple fact of being able to wake up in the morning. I had begun to speak the way that she spoke and thought the way that she thought. And if we want to see others as God sees them, we need to spend time with him. There's no shortcuts. If we want to speak like he speaks, we need to spend time listening to how he speaks. We can only do this by reading and rereading and meditating on God's word. Analyzing what he says and how he says it. Listening to him speaking in that place of prayer getting you used to the unique voice he uses to speak to each one of us and listening to the patterns of speech that he employs because we know we're in a spiritual battle. There'll be plenty of false words spoken to us or spoken about others. And we need to recognize the voice of our father. The Bible tells us that God's sheep, which is us recognize his voice. And we need to be able to recognize his voice. I run with a group of girls a few times a week, and despite the fact that my eyesight seems to be getting worse and worse, I have spent so much time with them that I can recognise who each of them is from miles in the distance because of the unique way that they move. We need to watch God so closely and so often that we recognise his pattern of moving. This week, at the start of the week, I was out for a run and wrestling with something that I've wrestled with for a long time, that's why I do on my runs. And I thought to myself, oh God, you must be so disappointed in me. And as I thought that thought, I felt that God said to me, when have I ever said that to you? I recognised that that thought that I had didn't sound anything like the Father God that I've come to know over the years. How did I recognise that? only by the fact that I have heard God speak to me about other things and in other ways. And I've never heard him speak like that. We need to be a people who can tell what comes from God and what doesn't. So verse 13 then. Wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning, but a rod is for the back of the one who has no sense. I don't know if any of you were ever told in primary school that we have two ears and one mouth because we should do twice as much listening as speaking. I always thought that was a really interesting thought, but I didn't pay much heed to that. I don't think I've ever listened twice as much as I spoke. And yet the book of Proverbs challenges us to this very thing time and time again, there are so many proverbs telling us literally to hold our tongues. Proverbs 13 verse 3 says that those who guard their lips preserve their lives but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. I have found myself often getting into trouble for speaking when I should have stayed quiet or for speaking and making decisions or judgments when I should have paused and listened. I've also ventured confident opinions in meetings or in my life group only for someone else to venture an opinion which is opposing to mine and for me to realise that they're right and I am most definitely not. I often agree to things without thinking through all the consequences, particularly when people ask me to do something. I'm a complete people pleaser at heart and I hate to think that I might let someone down. So I agree to things that I don't have the capacity or the capabilities for. And these things become a rod to my back. Something that causes me pain, fatigue, difficulty. Because this verse counsels us to think things through, not to open our mouths and commit to something that might later become a rod to our backs, but rather to consider all of the options, to be wise and discerning for the way that God is calling us. Not to choose paths based on what is wise in our own eyes, but to choose things that are wise in God's eyes and following his will. To take our time to ask God what he thinks, and where he would lead us. And this takes time, it takes time to listen to God, to work at where he's calling you or leading you. So you have to be prepared to slow down from our fast pace of life. And I stand here as someone who has no idea how to do that. We're all a work in progress. But we have to slow down enough to let the noise in your head settle quietly, that we can hear and think and feel your way into being confident of what God is saying in every decision. If we want to be a discerning people, a people who doesn't make a rod for our own back, we need to be a people who take our time, who ask God and who are humble enough to acknowledge that what is wise in our eyes might in fact be of no sense in the kingdom of God, the kingdom to which we belong. So, I want to challenge us in our speech today. Are we a people who build each other up? Are we a people who look for the giftings and the talents that God has given someone, but which might be covered up and needing help to be dug out like Teddy Stoddard? Are we a people who choose to let go of hurts and wrongs and choose to love deeply like God loves? Are we a people who are too quick to speak and too slow to listen? Are we a people who make decisions quickly and without God giving God his chance to guide us? And are you trying to do all these things in your own strength? I find myself doing that so often. Because remember that God says my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If it feels too heavy to carry, then you're trying to lift a yoke that wasn't meant for you. Lay it down at the feet of God and spend time in his presence, listening to what he says about you and what he says about the people around about you. I want us to spend some time now practicing, listening to what God says, how he says it, how he speaks about us and to us, and what he's saying about the situations that we feel find ourselves in. Okay, we're gonna listen to a song, and then I'm gonna pray.